saints of God, welcome to another episode of Talking Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D, here to help you grow in faith and walk in God's amazing grace. We have been embarking on a five-part series called A New Covenant with Better Promises. Today, we have entered part four, which is entitled, Evil Spirits Are in the World Today. Yes, yes they are. So I want you to continue to wear your Spirit of Truth hat and put on that scuba gear because we are continuing to go into deep waters. Now sit back and enjoy. All right, saints, thank you for hanging in there. We are on part four of A New Covenant with Better Promises. Now I want to talk a little bit about the work of the Holy Spirit and whether or not you are aware or you know that evil spirits exist in the world today. Now, whether you are aware of them or not, whether you believe in them or not is irrelevant and immaterial. They do exist. There are sex spirits. There are homosexual spirits, lying spirits, fornicating spirits. And whether you know it or not, there are religious spirits. That is why sometimes you see people who take hold of something which is as wrong as a $8 bill, and yet they will not let it go. These individuals seem to be so tied to their beliefs that you cannot cut them loose with a knife. The thing or, 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 or thought just seems to engulf them. And you wonder how some people who appear so intelligent cannot see what the word of God clearly reveals. It is because they are blinded by religious spirits. Satan has sent these spirits out into the world to cause confusion so that people do not know which way to go or what to believe. But let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit is not confused. He would not make 15 different denominations and every one of them say something different, causing people to be doubtful and confused. Now, I am not implying that every individual who started or had anything to do with the beginning of a denomination had something wrong with him. What I am saying is that people can be influenced by spirits without even knowing it. Spirits are very clever. They will make you think you thought, thought the thing up that, that you got, uh, got it right from the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, <laughs> I'm telling you, they're out there, saints. They are out there. So it must be right. If, if, if they think they got it from the Holy Spirit, it must be right. But if the Holy Spirit is working in me and the Holy Spirit is working in you, and the Holy Spirit is working in someone else, we are not going to come out with five different denominations. No way, saints. Ain't no way. In my best English, people are confused and they are confused by religious spirits. Well, which denomination is right? I will tell you which one is right. The Bible. That is the one that is right. Okay, if you stick with the Bible, you cannot go wrong. Now, let's look at Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. Now, the word forever when used in the Bible does not mean forever in the sense of eternity, because it, it, it were, if it were going to be the Sabbath forever, it would have to include the total law, which had to do with the animal sacrifices and everything else. And those sacrifices are 
over because Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So when it says forever, I believe this was the strongest term God could use for the, for the Jews to understand how long something was to be in operation. It did not mean forever in the sense of eternal, but rather it meant forever as long as you are alive. The covenant is to be kept. Okay. If it meant that the Jews were to keep the Sabbath throughout eternity, then that would mean the law and everything connected with it would have to go into eternity. And that is not true. It's, it's, it's just simply not true. Now, Let's look at the latter part of Exodus 31, 16. Listen very carefully, saints. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel. Did y'all catch that? Now, I want you to notice that God did not say it is a sign between me and the Gentiles. He did not say it is a sign between me and the Christian. He did not say it is a sign between me and the church. Mm -mm, no. God said it was a sign between him and the children of Israel. Christians are not the children of Israel. We are the children of God. Therefore, we as Christians are not obligated to keep the Sabbath or anything connected with it. Okay. I just, I hope that that was clear to you because we are talking about a new covenant with better promises. We, the children of God, the sons of God are under a new covenant. Now, there are many Christians who are walking in bondage today, bound because of, of a sincere and honest desire to please God. Make no mistake about that. They are following religious traditions that were either passed down to them from their parents or because of an exposure to certain teachings they received at church or Sunday school. Now, as an informed believer, you may be able to help these people. You may be the channel to, to, you know, to set them free. Now, a true minister of the gospel might never have an opportunity to speak to them, but you might be the catalyst that God can use to help them get free from religious bondage. Now, there are many churches today telling people they cannot be saved if they wear jewelry. <laughs> now I mentioned this in uh, another um, teaching that I had a few weeks ago and you know it was funny then and it's funny to me now because this false teaching is out there they can't be saved if they don't go to church on Saturday they can't be saved if they don't do this or if they don't do that okay people need to find out for themselves what God has to say about all this rather than what the preacher the bishop even the pope or a teacher, or anybody else has to say. People need to find out for themselves. Now, according to the scriptures, we read in the book of Acts, there were certain things Christians were asked to do. Now, let's look at that portion of, of Acts chapter 15 again. I talked about it in the previous message. Now, I'm going to look at Acts 15, verse 19 and 20. And for those of you who don't know, I think I forgot to mention, I am reading from the traditional King James Version. And uh, unless I indicate otherwise, I'm going to stick with the traditional King James Version. Now, I'm going to speak in detail about these four things that the apostles asked us to abstain from. Okay. Uh, Acts 15 verse 19 and 20. 
Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. This is talking about Christians, okay? But that we write unto them that they abstain from, number one, pollutions of idols. Now, at the time when God called Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, who later was called Israel, and then Jacob's 12 sons, the world was polytheistic. Okay. The people had a, a multiplicity of gods whom they worshiped. The Jew was the only one during that time who was unique in that he was monotheistic. He worshiped only one God. All the Gentiles had, had once been heathenistic or paganistic. Okay. They worshiped, they worshiped animals, the sun, the moon, and idols made with men's hands from stone and wood. And they also worshiped trees. I'm telling you, saints, it was something else. They were polluted with the worship of idols. The apostles in Acts 15, 20 were letting these Gentiles who had now become Christians know that they had to put aside these polytheistic gods and worship only the one true and living God. Now, secondly, from fornication. Fornication means sexual intercourse outside of marriage. It means the same thing today that it meant some 2000 years ago. Now, thirdly, and from things strangled. Now, when God set up the law at Mount Sinai with Moses and then gave the children of Israel his decree from uh, for them to, to observe the law, they also were told to bring different different kinds of animals and different kinds of sacrifices to atone for different kinds of sin, but their animals were also to be killed with a knife or something of, of that nature. And the blood was to be drained from the carcasses. Okay. Now in the pagan world, it was quite different. Instead of killing an animal with a blade or, or some sort, they would strangle the animal choke the animal to death. And in many cases, they would then offer the animal in sacrifice. Sometimes the priest, uh-huh, the priest would punch holes in the animal's carcass, drain the blood, and then drink it. That may sound strange to us, but in some parts of the world, they still do that to this day. Yes, saints. There are certain areas of the world where people eat what is called blood sausages. Sausages that are full of the blood of the animal the sausage is made from. Okay. Fourthly, and from blood. Now, because of this, God said in Leviticus 17, 11, that the life of the flesh is in the blood. Consequently, man was not supposed to drink the blood of another living thing. However, in pagan worship and sacrifice, people did. They felt there was something mystical about drinking the blood of sacrifice or sacrificed animals and certain powers were granted to them in excess. Okay. Now God's children are never to drink blood according to the new covenant because the one sacrifice for time and eternity is the Lord Jesus, Jesus, the Christ. He has already died. He has already risen. He has already ascended and no one else ever needs to make another blood sacrifice because divine justice has been eternally 
satisfied. Okay, now let's move on to the life of Christ in the life of the believer. Now, how do we know that Jesus Christ is a person? How do we know that he died on Calvary? How do we know that he ascended into heaven? How do we know that he is coming back again? How do we know these things? By faith in the word of God, the Bible, that is how. The apostles who walked with Jesus did not believe the Bible. The Bible was not even written then, saints. Uh-huh, you thought I was going to say, yeah, they didn't pay attention to the Bible. No, the Bible did, did not exist. Now, how could they believe it? Our faith is based on the word of God. That is the reason why I harp on the word so much. That is why I stay on it. Because everything we believe concerning spiritual matters is predicated on the word. The reason why many Christians are missing out on the things of God is because they are waiting for a feeling. They have been going by an emotion and, and, and their prayer life, their Bible reading, their commitment to Christ are all predicated on some kind of feeling. Now, in fact, these Christians can be described by the words of an old song. Remember this song? Every time I feel the spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. <laughs> and some of them have not felt the spirit moving in 20 years, so they have not prayed. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that you will not have some feelings. I am not saying feelings will not come when you pray. But if you wait until you have a feeling in order to pray, you will not pray as often as you should. Satan will see to that. He will see to it that your feelings don't come. No, 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 no. You pray because the word says to pray without ceasing. Some Christians are waiting to get the, you know, the Bible reading feeling. And then they will study the scriptures. They don't understand that they are supposed to read the Bible because the word says study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not be ashamed. Y'all know that scripture It's second Timothy two fifteen. Now, as I stated before, the faith of the apostles when they walked with Christ during his earthly ministry was based on their senses. Our faith is based on the word of God. If you base your faith on anything other than the word, you are going to be up the creek in a boat without a paddle. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, according to the scriptures, the word, not according to a feeling, but according to the word, when Jesus walked the earth, some of the people believed he was the prophet Moses had talked about. Now, Moses had said that in the latter days, God would raise up a prophet for the Jews like himself and that unto him would be the gathering of the people. This was, of course, referring to Jesus. Some thought Jesus was the son of God. 
Some even went so far as to accept him as the Messiah, but they did not believe he had died for them or was going to rise again for their justification. As I said before, no one could experience righteousness until after Jesus's resurrection. Now, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And every man who is outside of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, is spiritually dead. Spiritual death does not mean non-existence. In other words, when we think of something that is, is, is dead in the English language, we think of the thing as being non-existent. Spiritual death means a life apart from God. As far as God is connected or either concerned for the spiritually dead person, it is as, as though he does not exist. I have used this illustration before, but I think it is a, a, appropriate and it gets the point across. Now, I am sure you have heard the term colorblind. What does it mean when we say a person is colorblind? It means that certain colors do not register on that person's optic nerve. It does not mean that he cannot see or that he is totally blind. It simply means he cannot distinguish certain colors. Now, spiritual death is like being colorblind. When a man is colorblind, he can see, but he cannot see a particular color. When a man is spiritually dead, he is alive, but he is dead to God. The spiritually dead man is considered colorblind as far as God is concerned. Now, he looks in God's direction, but his spiritual optic nerve does not see God. Just as the colorblind man's optic nerve does not see a particular color. Now, the spiritually dead man does not need forgiveness of sins. Okay, if God forgave the sinner of his sins, it would not do him any good. He will still go to hell. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I am about to say now, because I don't want you to be confused. Now, most people think God is forgiving sinners of their sins. I am talking very technically now. So follow me carefully. When a sinner comes to Christ, God forgives him of his sins, generally speaking. But technically speaking, when a man accepts Christ as his savior, God does not forgive his sins. What God does is to remit his sins, which means he wipes out the man's total past as though it never existed. That is powerful. We better thank God for Jesus. We better thank God for this new covenant because the children of Israel didn't have this in the old covenant. But we do. Christians have this. Now, in fact, the day when a man accepts Christ is just as if the man were born that day. All those years, all the way back to the date of his physical birth are wiped out. Oh, yes, it's called being born again, saints. We are given a new slate. Now, the sins God forgives are the sins of Christians. If I commit a sin, I say, Father, I have sinned. Forgive me. And he forgives me. But for the sinner, his sins are remitted, wiped out. It is as if the sinner has a brand new start. When a Christian sins, he does not get a brand new start because he is the same person he was before the sin. He is still a child of God. He just keeps right on being in the family of God. It is as though he just made a mistake. When God forgives him, God just erases 
that mistake. Now, you have to be in the spirit to understand what I just said. Okay. Now, the sinner does not need forgiveness of sin. What the sinner needs is a new nature. He needs a nature that is spiritually alive. He needs to be able to see God. You know, like the colorblind man needs to be able to see all the colors that are there. The sinner needs to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you do not become a new creature, you are condemned. And you can keep the Sabbath day all you want. It will not make any difference. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things are become new. Now this new creature in Christ, he has a brand new nature. He has a brand new heart that is implanted and filled with the agape kind of love. And the law that he will respond to is the law of love, not the Ten Commandments, not the law of Moses, not circumcision, not the Sabbath day, but the law of love. Now, what are the old things that pass away? They surely could not be anything in the physical, because if you are bald headed the day before you get saved, and, and you are overweight the day before you get saved. You are bald headed and overweight the day after. If you have freckles on your nose the day before, you have the same freckles the day after. The things that pass away are not physical things. They are spiritual things. The old things that pass away are spiritual death, alienation, separation, degradation, and condemnation. They are all wiped out. What is new? Hmm. We are the children of God. God is our father. Jesus is our elder brother. The Holy Spirit is our power source. The word of God becomes our sword and agape love becomes our law. Glory to God for that. Oh, praise be to God for that. Condemnation goes out the window. Unrighteousness goes out the window. I am a new creature a new creation in Christ Jesus, and I have a right to enter the throne room of God. Praise God, saints. We better thank God for this new covenant. Stop trying to uh, implant yourself in the old covenant. The new covenant is better. Oh, yes, we are under, under a new covenant with better promises. Now, it is a spiritual transaction. And it has nothing to do with keeping the law of Moses. It doesn't have anything to do with going to church on the Sabbath. And it has nothing to do with circumcision. Let us look at a companion scripture that will help you see this more clearly. This is Jesus speaking. And in the third chapter of John, he says this. Jesus answered and said unto him. Unto him means to, to the man Nicodemus who came to Jesus for teaching and instruction. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the word see does not refer to visual sight with your physical eyes. Jesus is talking about something spiritual. You know, consequently, what is literally being said is this, except a man be born again, he cannot come to know the kingdom of God or either understand the kingdom of God. Everyone who has not yet accepted Christ is in the natural. Jesus is in the spiritual. So if you have to make a transfer from the natural to the spiritual, and the way you do that is through the new birth, 
Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about something physical. He didn't see Nicodemus wasn't born again, so he didn't understand who who Jesus was, but he knew Jesus was a teacher. He knew that whatever Jesus told him was the truth. He did know that. Now, Jesus answered and said to Nicodemus, now, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the, into the kingdom of God. Now, first, Jesus said that unless you are born again, you cannot come to know the kingdom. Then he says, except you are born again, you cannot enter into it. When he says water and spirit, I want to I want to clarify what he is talking about. The word water does not mean water baptism. The word water here is being used symbolically for the word of God. When Jesus told the parable of the sower, he said a sower went out to, to sow some seed and some seed fell by the wayside and the fowls came down and plucked up the seed. Then later on, when he gave the interpretation of the story, he said that the seed is the word. Okay, so the word seed or the word water here are symbols standing for the word of God. Okay, now it takes the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to cause the new birth. It takes the Holy Spirit of God and the word of God to create a new creature in Christ Jesus. In other words, it takes two things to make spiritual life, just like it takes two things to make physical life. It takes a sperm coming in contact with an egg called fertilization to cause conception to take place and a child to be born out of his mother's womb into the world. Now, the spiritual birth is on this wise. Okay, the spirit of God and the word of God, the sperm and the egg come together and conception takes place and a new creature is born out of the world into Christ Jesus. That is spiritual birth. Now, the ground in which the seed is planted is the human heart. The way it gets there is through the preaching of the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the new birth saints then is the rebirth of human of the human spirit. It is a spiritual transaction and not a physical one. Oh, my God. I'm getting full just uh, preaching this or teaching this because I've, I've been born again for over 25 years now. And let me tell you, to be born again and to become a new creature, it is an amazing feeling. Now, now let's look at John chapter 3 and 7. John chapter 3 verse 7. Marvel not that I said unto thee, uh, unto thee, ye must be born again. Now there is no option. If you want to enter into the family of God, you have to do it by the new birth. Jesus said, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Now you can keep the 10 commandments or attempt to keep them all you want. And you can go to church every Sabbath day that comes up. But those things are not going to end. Let me tell you. Oh my God. Those things are not going to put you in to God. It is not going to put you into the new birth. 
You have to follow the plan, the prescribed method. And that method is the new birth saints. Now, I want to talk a little bit about a new, the new creation. Now, let's cover more scripture concerning the word water, not uh, not meaning water baptism. Now, in Ephesians chapter five, beginning at verse 24, Paul tells us this. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything, in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Now, Paul here is using the word water as a symbol for the word of God. All throughout the Bible, you will find different expressions used to describe the word. For instance, in the Old Testament, it says thy word is like a hammer. That's in Jeremiah 23, 29, as a hammer breaks up the rocks. So the word of God breaks up the, the fallow ground of human hearts. Now, the prophet Jeremiah also said that God's word was like a fire shut up in his bones. The word burns like a fire burns. However, the prophet was using fire symbolically. Okay, most of the people who attempt to live by the law do not believe in the new creation. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And they and their old selves going to go right to hell. And I don't have a problem saying that because people need to hear that today. Oh, yes. They need to know their options, you know, because if they did, if they did believe in the new creation, they would not try to force this business about the law the Ten Commandments and all the other things that passed away when the new creation came into being on Christians. Okay. They would know that being born again is the key for getting into the kingdom of God. There are those who believe that the new birth comes at the second coming of Christ. There are some who believe that when you die, you go to sleep. They refer to this as soul sleep. They, you know, they say that when you die, you simply go to sleep and you stay asleep in the grave until Jesus comes back. Then you become born again. Now, according to this belief, it is, it is like being given a second chance. Friends, guess what? There is no second chance. Don't you fall for that. Cause Satan is clever here. You only have one chance. Now our one chance is in this life. If we all could get a second chance, then why even be bothered with doing what we are doing right now? Why even preach the gospel? Why teach? Why go to church? After all, you're going to get a second chance, right? So just wait until the end. Let's, let's do that. Let's eat, drink, and be merry because you are going to get a second chance. No way. This is it. The Bible tells us today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart. That's in Hebrews 4, 17, that today, as you hear this word or hear his words, don't harden your heart. You need to receive it. Now is the accepted time. If you are not a believer in Jesus now, that means you are unsaved. If you are unsaved, you cannot understand the word of God. That is why those who subscribe to soul sleep are locked into keeping the law. What they are trying to do is to be accepted by God on their own merits. If you are not born again now, you are outside of the family of God. 
you are going to hell. Oh, yes, you have a reservation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, first class ticket. You, you will be seated in first class. Now, you hear people say all the time, I just don't believe in hell. Well, I say this. So what? What does that have to do with the fact that hell exists? That is probably what the rich man thought in the story Jesus told concerning the beggar, Lazarus, who sat at the rich man's gate until they both died. The Bible says that in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes. Now, if you want to read that, that's in Luke chapter 16, verses 20 through 31, if, I, if I'm right. Luke 16, verses 20 through, through 31. Now, I hear this all the time, too. That's what I say about them preachers. They're always trying to use scare tactics, talking about hell. We are not trying. Let me tell you something. We are not trying to scare you. Mm -mm, far from it. We are trying to warn you. Now, when you are driving down the highway and you come to a, a, a little sharp turn, a little curve in the road, and there is a big yellow sign that says dangerous curve, slow down. The highway department authorities are not trying to scare you. They are trying to save your life by keeping you from going over the edge and by warning you to slow down because you, you can hurt or kill yourself. Okay. Now, when God tells us to enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. That's in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He is not trying to scare you. He is warning you. Hell does not bother me. Trust me. Hell doesn't bother me at all. God can have 14 different hells in 14 different locations. Hell doesn't bother me in the least because I know I'm not going there. I have already entered into heaven and seated in heavenly places with Jesus because I decided to go through the adoption agency of Jesus. I am a child of God. You hear me? Now, there are many churches where the pastor is not even born again. In some of these churches, in order to meet the requirements for pastoral assignment, all, <laughs> all one has to do is to complete four years of undergraduate work. Okay. Do another three years in, in graduate school, get a degree in theology, join the denomination, apply for ministerial credentials, you know, answer all the right questions. And, and, um, the particular denomination will ordain such a candidate as one of theirs. When a parish or church becomes available, the individual can then go and preach at that church. And if the pulpit committee likes him and votes him in, he becomes the pastor of the church and he may not even be born again. You hear me? This happens all the time. You know, tragically, it, it sometimes becomes almost like a game. Personally, <laughs> I do not have time for playing games, not when it comes to the word of God and not when it comes to saving lives and saving souls and winning souls. Okay. My life is too valuable for that. I love me. I, I look, I love me too much. Mm -mm, I love me. If you do not understand what I am saying, you may think I am being, you know, egotistical. I'm not. I am doing exactly what the Bible told me to do. The Bible told me to love me. If I don't love me, then I have no capacity to love you. 
The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. How can I love you as my neighbor if I do not first of all love me? Okay, that is why some people have problems loving other people because they do not really love themselves. If God had wanted you just to love your neighbor, he would have said, love your neighbor, period. But isn't it interesting that he said, love that neighbor as thyself. Now that's in Matthew 19, 19. Now, in other words, as you love you, love me. There is no way you can love me if you do not love you. I heard um, one minister's testimony with my own ears one time. Here was a man who had a, a celebrated ministry, a large congregation, was on the radio for 30 some my, I mean, about 30 something years. He was supposedly a minister of the gospel for 52 years. And out of his own mouth, he declared that he had never actually been born again for 52 years. He was not even saved. What in the world could he have been preaching all those years? He had to have been preaching nothing much. Zero. And the people who listened to him, guess what they got? They got nothing. He had been to college. He had several degrees. This is all you need in man's world. But you need to be born again if you are going to preach in God's world. Unless you have been born again. You cannot even understand the Bible. That is why there is so much confusion. So many ministers and who are in leadership positions have not even been saved. That is just baffling to me. Now, as I said before, God is not confused. If, if another pastor and myself are teaching the same thing and he is filled with the Holy Spirit and I am filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not going to give him one direction and then turn around and give me another direction about the same thing. That doesn't compute, saints. Uh-uh. If we are operating by the same spirit, we are going to both go in the same direction. When we have one preacher saying it is this way and another saying, no, it's that way, that cannot be God. Mm-mm, not at all. I'm going to stop right here, saints, because I am getting tired. And I want you to stand by for my closing remarks. Wow, I know that was a powerful message. I hope you enjoyed part four of A New Covenant with Better Promises entitled Evil Spirits in the World Today. It may be hard for some of you to receive, but it's Bible truth. If you have any questions about this episode, please feel free to contact me at trustgod55.cd at gmail.com and I will personally respond to your questions or comments. Part five will be our final episode of this five-part series. Part five is entitled A New Creation. Yes, a new creation. Until next time, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I am your host, Dr. Kamala D., rightly dividing the truth in peace and love. See you next time.